uh, let me answer your second question first and your first question fourth and your non-asked question seventh. Nelson once saying one is the loneliest number but this episode is 111 that's 111 of the promo upfront podcast so nobody should feel alone Absolutely. i'm one of your hosts bill petrie with me as always let's call him the field marshal of the federal trade commission the one and only kirby hossaman kirby how in the mid-August are you? Ah, that's a great question. I am doing really well. Lots of good things going on in my life. You and I have talked um, offline about a bunch of uh, that going on. Some big news. Uh, my my daughter's getting married soon. My other daughter's moving to Colorado. There's just all kinds of goings, goings on in the Hassaman abode and all good, you know, but th they all cause a little bit of stress. And so, but it's a good stress. So I'm doing well. How about you, bud? I'm doing great. Hold on. Can you hear that? That's silence because my kids are back at college. <laughs> Woo! That's right. I've got my house back. I got my office back. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Joking aside, um, the last week we did move both Drew and Mitch into their respective uh, living situations at Mississippi State in Alabama, and uh, it was it was fun. It was taxing. It was yeah. uh, the drives were, were a little tough, but uh, uh, they started school this week, and uh, hard to believe they're already sophomores. Uh, Crazy. So pretty pretty exciting there. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always exciting to see family do what they want to do. And that got me to thinking Kirby, you know, recently we talked about how important it is to have stability in a business partner. And, and I really love that discussion. Um, it's one of the many reasons that I love that our friends at Shepenko are sponsoring our podcast today. Talk about family. We just talked about family and doing things. They've been in business since 1933 and are still a fourth generation family owned and operated that still sells exclusively to promotional products distributors. You don't stay in business that long without doing things the right way, Kirby. Totally. Doing what they say all the time, delivering quality merchandise at a fair price, always going the extra mile for their distributor partners, and truly caring about the success of their clients. These, and so many other reasons, are exactly why Shapenko just won the Supplier Family Business of the Year at the ASI Council Awards. Kirby, I know you pay attention uh, to the suppliers you work with. You're, you're pretty picky about it, which I really respect about you. And stability is a big part of why you choose to partner with a particular supplier. Yeah, I've said many times that we are in the business of making promises for other people. And so when you are in that business, you want to do business with people who keep their promises. And, um, you know, that points to stability. And the idea that you have been in uh, business for four generations as uh, Shapenko is just incredibly hard and incredibly impressive. So kudos to them. Absolutely. Such a great group of people. I couldn't agree more, Kirby. When it comes to a supplier that truly cares about your success, you'd be hard pressed to do better than Shapenko. And if that weren't enough, and gosh darn it, it should be. <laughs> when you put the code Shapenko22 on your next order, Shapenko is going to hook you up for 10% free goods or free ground shipping, your choice. Or you can just email Alex Smoltz directly at alexshapenko.com, and he's going to hook you up with random samples and the aforementioned free goods. So you want to see all those amazing products, 
head over to shapenko.com. You're not going to be sorry you did. Now, Kirby, I want to thank you for having and dis- really displaying such courage this morning in broadcasting in such a humid, warm environment that we have here in August. <laughs> I know you've got a white hot promo topic to start our podcast with. In fact, I can't wait to hear it. I'm going to now shut up. Would you please tell us what that topic is? Oh, okay. Well, that's a hell of a buildup. Uh, so uh, the big headline this week um, was, speaking of stability, Tri Mountain, a uh, supplier that's been in business since 1993, is set to close their doors. Um, it's a California-based supplier, been in operation for almost 30 years, and just immediately, like, it was one of those where you get the, I, I get so many emails, by the way, this is sort of a side tangential yeah. conversation, so many emails that say breaking news, and I look down at them, and I'm like, oh, who gives a shit? But this one was one of those moments, I was like, oh, that's actually breaking news, that was actually a big deal, and so- kind of a. Kind of a humble brag there with how many emails you get, but that's okay. You're important. <laughs> yeah, I think I just sign up for a lot of email lists. Um, but it this was a big deal, I thought. And um, I was uh, obviously sad to see um, any anybody close their doors. Uh, certainly sad because, you know, um, the folks that I know in the industry, multi-line reps specifically, Kurt and Kyle McGovern are two of my favorite multi-line reps and they rep Tri-Mountain. So that was the first thing I thought I was like, oh no, for them. But I had two questions for you. And then I went to get your thoughts on this. Uh, so one of the things that said on the announcement, that was a couple of days ago, it said Tri-Mountain will continue to accept orders through Thursday, August 18th. Right. Which two day te- notice. Yeah. Well, Yes. So two day notice. But my question is, why the hell would you still send them an order if you know they're closing? And right. second, and I think this is obvious, but I, w- I want to get your um, take. Why close down in this world of mergers yeah. and acquisitions? Why not sell? They, they had to have tried to sell. Right. So those are my I, questions. Yeah. That, yeah. So uh, let me answer your second question first and your first question fourth and your non asked <laughs> question seventh. Okay. So to answer your first, second question first, um, I don't think there was a buyer. I had to believe that they probably approached all the companies we can think of that were that that uh, brand. That would fit. make sense. And there were no takers. That, that had to be my guess. Yeah. Um, as far as sending orders to them, I'm not sure I would. I thought it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen in terms of not closing the doors, not going out of business. That happens. And it's awful. And yeah, that's a bummer. Like you, my promo heart goes out to everybody who people are losing their jobs and all that. So I don't, I don't want to be flippant about that, but to say, Hey, it's Tuesday and give us your orders till Thursday. It's all good. And Hey, if you have orders in house, don't worry about them. It's going to be just fine. (laughs) It reminds me of Kevin Bacon at animal house when the band is running amok and he's like, remain calm. Everything (laughs) is just fine. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, I wrote down a couple notes because I was planning on bringing this up had you not. Like I said, I th- what I think is going to happen, Kirby, I think they tried to find a buyer. No one wanted to. And now at that, that they're going out of business at that price, I think someone will buy the brand name, the remaining inventory, and roll it into their line at a much more palatable price for that acquiring yeah. company. So I think the assets are going to be acquired. But what I thought was interesting, because I remembered during the peak of the supply chain issues, let's call it July of last year, okay. when it seemed like there were 790 container ships floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right. couldn't find places in port. A lot of suppliers, almost every supplier had to raise their prices. Yeah. Tri-Mountain 
and and they've always been a little on the higher side anyway. Not a criticism, but they've always had a, a yeah. little little more expensive uh, price structure. They came out and said, "Hey, we're not raising our prices. We are flat out not raising our prices." Which very bold move. And I remember, I think we even talked about it at the time. And I wonder how much that impacted this that they didn't raise their prices. That maybe. They continued sales level wise, revenue wise was fine, but profitability started shrinking. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that was a contributing factor. You know, like I said, I, 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 I was really surprised that there wasn't a hit promotional products or Alpha Broder or PCNA. Someone had absorbed them. So mm-hmm. I do think in the coming days you'll see something, but it clearly didn't come together to the point where they could remain in business. Yeah. Like I said, it's a, it's a bummer. And like I said, we don't want to be flippant, flippant about no. it, but it it was the big news. And so, um, yeah. yeah, I, the, whenever a business closes and I have this conversation with these much smaller businesses, local businesses, um, and actually had this conversation with my daughter, Jade, Jade, as I mentioned, is, uh, moving to Colorado. So she had started a business and she, um, just recently right. sold it. But I remember when this first conversation started, she was like, well, I just have to close down my business and leave. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you at least got to test the market and see if there's a buyer sure. out there. And she found uh, a couple interested parties. And it was like, mm-hmm. I'm always intrigued by people who don't do that, or at least it, from the outside looking in, it looks like they don't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's conversations behind the scene, but yeah. that was one of my first yeah. thoughts. My, my uh, last thing I want to add to this, really damaging to the brand. If someone does end up buying Tri-Mountain, I think you're going to have some real resistance for a long time for people to trust that brand, unfortunately. Yeah. I, it, it, let's say they go to PCNA uh, or you know, Alpha Bro, it doesn't matter. I think people have a problem with the name Tri-Mountain now. And that's a shame because it had a really good name, really good reputation, great products, great merchandise. Uh, so it's really a shame how it all went down. But I think it. my sense is it that was the only way it could go down. Sure, sure. And and I, it is funny you say that because, man, people in our industry do have a long memory about things like that. So, yeah, that's uh, that'll be oh. interesting to see. Kirby, I still hear people, uh, I don't want to say complaining, but referencing the Halo bankruptcy and how they got screwed 20 years ago when most suppliers got paid about 60, 70, 80 cents on the dollar which is, which is amazing in a yeah. bankruptcy. Usually yeah. it's two to three cents on the dollar. So yeah. you're right about that long memory. All right, Kirby, let's let's keep it in the promo world as we amp up the podcast. Woo-hoo. That's right. Hey, distributors, is your marketing working? If you can't answer definitively, oh, hell, yes, it is, Billy boy, <laughs> then you got yourself a problem and you need to reach out to our good pals over at Promo Pulse. They can help you consistently amplify your sales through stunningly beautiful outbound marketing that's so easy, you can customize it, set it, and forget you even did it with even five minutes. With five minutes, that's it. So you want to learn more? Of course you do. At Go over to promopulse.io slash amp. All right, Kirby. Like I said, I feel amped up now. Let's keep it in the promo world. I don't know if you saw this. This comes from our good pals over at Promo Marketing. Okay. Um, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which you are the field marshal of apparently, apparently. has fined the apparel brand Lions Not Sheep for mm. false made in the USA labels. Mm. No, I didn't see this. Okay. So they find the company for replacing made in China labels with made in USA labels. They find them about $211,000. <clears throat> An interesting part of the ruling, excuse me, is this quote. 
any qualified made in the USA products need to include clear and conspicuous disclosure about the extent to which the product contains foreign parts, ingredients or components or processing. A little bit of gobbledygook there, but let me let me break it down. So part of the crackdown is, is on these false made in the USA claims is under the Buy American plan that uh, Biden signed in, uh, President Biden signed into law, I think, last year. And it requires marketers making unqualified made in USA claims on product labels to prove that their products are, quote, all or all or virtually all made in the USA. And so I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, man, this is a big blow for our industry because mm. it's one of those things. It's the law of unintended consequences, right? Okay. Okay. I understand the intention behind the made in the USA act. I, you know, it should, if something's made in the USA, it should say that if it's something made in China, it should say it. <clears throat> what, what, what we've always argued. And when we've gone to Capitol Hill, I've done it many, many times with lead. We would advocate while a lot of the merchandise might be actually manufactured in China, the value of it is added here in the United States for right. decoration. Yeah. This because the way the law is written, that doesn't seem to apply. I'm not a legal scholar. I, I don't, I, I'm speaking a little bit uh, out of thin air here uh, as opposed to thin hair. Um, but <laughs> it just seems to be kind of a blow for promo. Um, and that seems to be dead now. The whole, uh, um, the whole, we enhance the value of it with decoration. So I wanted to ask you, what does made in the USA mean to you now, given that, that ruling uh, it made versus decorated or value enhanced. Yeah. I, so I, again, I didn't read this article, so I'm hearing it for the first time. So I'm kind of just give me a little bit of grace yep. on my comments. A lot of grace. Here. Um, I would say, I'm not sure it applies. Uh, and what I mean by that is yeah. if you actively take a made in China label on it and then actively put right. a made in the USA, like you're yeah. lying and you're doing 100%. that on purpose. And so 100%. that part is to me. That's and black it, and white. Yeah. that And so like, I'm like, yeah, okay. You clearly were trying to manipulate and mislead. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I, I get why uh, there was some consequences for right. that. That makes sense. Um and so to me, uh, the, 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 to your point, then back to that is to say, I don't know that this um, deals a blow toward that. I think that that is something we need to evolve as an industry on describing, yeah. right? Um, and I think that 100%. like it's great that you guys are doing that um, when you go to Washington through the lead uh, initiative. But I don't think I'm doing that. I don't think most distributor salespeople are doing that on a regular basis. Right. And I don't I don't know that we have the common language that we need to I do agree. it consistently, right? Like so is it, oh well, no, it's it's made in China, but you know, it's decorated here. How do yeah. we and maybe that's a, a you know, like I've said that the the idea of elevating the industry is a great yeah. initiative for PPAI. Maybe this is something that could be a down the road project because I do mm. think that there is a manipulated in the USA. Uh, there is, uh, yeah, something. There's mm. a there's a term there that's waiting to be had that I well, think we could say and be honest about saying, right? And that you know what I mean. Then then so so the idea that they're ripping a label off and putting on a different label doesn't seem 100% like wrong. That. Yeah. That, that was, yeah, so, that's so that, does that make sense? I, I don't know if I, I it does. No, it does. I think you hit on something. It's the common language is what, what can we agree on? Is it enhanced yeah. in the USA? Is it 
value added, which is kind of what we've always explained. And I really started thinking about this because I want to talk about this topic. And, and you know me and I, you, you and I are very much the same way on this. I don't like talking about a problem without finding some sort of solution. Yeah. And as I was drinking out of a piece of drinkware from our industry, the answer was right in front of me. It was a Hirsch gift drinkware, piece of drinkware. And it was one of their Patriot things. And on the bottom, it says in very big letters, uh, deck designed in Houston. And in very small letters, made in China. And I'm like, that's the solution right there. Mm. Okay. It's that Apple approach designed in Cupertino, made in China. I don't I think that helps a lot in yeah. terms of clarifying this. It's it, this is an idea, the design, the the imprinting, you could even say decorated in Houston yeah, I was gonna say, or whatever. Designed you and decorated. <clears throat> right. You have all of that. But it's manufactured elsewhere because it's more cost effective. Right. To me, that that's the solution to the problem right there. And if if you have clients who are, I need made in the USA product, and sometimes that is really difficult to find, then yeah. you have a, a little bit of a high ground to stand on. Hey, it's not manufactured here. It, it's not at all manufactured, but it was designed in the United States. It's decorated in the United States. So the value is here in the United States. It is manufactured overseas because, frankly, it's more cost effective to do so. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to, this wouldn't fit in your budget if it wasn't manufactured overseas. To me, there's the entire narrative right there. Yeah. But I think we need, um, as an industry, to start telling that story consistently across uh, companies. Agreed. And so I Agreed. think that's the challenge. Because I'll be honest, I mean, like, I, probably had that conversation, but I don't know that I've done it consistently. Yeah. Um, and so, and the reality of it is the people who are asking for, and in my experience, the people who are saying, Hey, I want a made in USA product. A lot of times are union based. Gotta be. yeah. yeah. And so um, now could you like, and I don't know mm -hmm. the answer to this, but are there union shops around the country that mm -hmm. do both? Right. So that it could yeah, be designed and, and decorated in Kansas city, yeah. manufactured in China or Taiwan it's, or wherever, yeah. but it's a union shop doing the decoration that might, that right. might help. So I think there's, again, it's about creating that common language. Life is about gray areas. I just thought this was yeah. a very interesting topic. Yes. I mean, obviously you rip out one label and put in a false label that that's very black and white. You should be fine. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of companies do try to skirt the whole made in the USA issue with, yeah. Hey, we add value in the United States. That's where the value of this as a piece of marketing is so you might be a poly bag that says you know just decorated the usa and that's i'm not sure enough i think that's kind of gets a little gets a little wonky well and i think what you talked about there though is the transparency thing because yep. you said they dance around the issue yeah don't exactly. do that <laughs> don't no, do just, that <laughs> right be up front yeah all right, Kirby. Good topic. Good topic. You got another one for us? Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll stay in the industry. And it, again, wow, I, three it, industry topics. You are getting three times the promo up front, people. It, yeah, that's right. And and it really actually kind of ties. What made okay. me think about it was the Tri Mountain thing, right? That that uh, I you know multi line reps that I know were affected. But on my morning walk this morning, I was like, yeah. well, you know, because when that happens, and I think when you have friends who live in that multi-line space, the first thing you right. do is you go, ooh, what other lines should they pick up, right? right. Like, um, right. And, you know, for like TriMount was a pretty big line. So that might, you yeah. know, this might not make sense. But then I started spinning it the other way and going, okay, when does a smaller supplier, because again, I think mm -hmm. the biggest suppliers often have 
uh, direct reps. They have right. supplier factory reps. reps. Work, factory reps, yeah. thank you. Um, now, some of them have a mixture, right? Um, yeah. But then I was thinking of smaller suppliers who are new to the industry and they're doing their best mm -hmm. to sell their product and make their product or whatever. Sure. You've worked with folks like this. So I'm, I kind of wanted your take on this. As a smaller supplier, when is the right mm -hmm. time to look at hiring a multi-line rep? Um, because I think mm. that for many, now maybe maybe some of the smaller reps are like, or smaller suppliers are like, you know what? I'm jumping right to having a right. rep. I think that's challenging because they just can't get all across the nation at first and they're going to have a smaller budget. <clears throat> um, so there's some real value in having multi-line reps that are already, you know, they're being paid by a bunch of suppliers. So they have the ability to stretch uh, that budget a little, little uh, further. Right. So when is it? It's like when, and I, this might be a really tough, tough question. question. Yeah. So, it but it's like, when is the time where you're like, oh, well, okay. When can I do it? And then I guess the second follow-up question is how do you pick what multi-line yeah. reps you go with? That's a right? better question. I think. Yeah. I think, well, I think the, the when, I think the when Kirby is when it feels like you're scrambling all the time. And I think we've all felt that as entrepreneurs where, you know, I wear 18 different hats a day. I know you do. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do in the industry. And when you can start, when you're doing everything, there comes to a point where some things start falling through the cracks. True. It could be invoicing. It could be marketing. It could be uh, quality assurance. It could be, Shipping, it could be a million different. It could be sales. Sales to me, because of the model in our industry, is the first thing I would look to offload mm -hmm. as a supplier. <clears throat> and then that leads in your second question. So to me, the answer is as soon as it's economically feasible uh, with a structure of, of yeah. commission that you can live with, as soon as you can do it, I would do it. As far as targeting, you know, who, who would you want? I don't think it's actually like a specific, uh, you know, you need to pick uh, the Ben Norris group uh, down in Texas with Ben Norris and Kelsey Cunningham, or you need to pick uh, the McGoverns up in Ohio or whatever. I don't think it's that. What I think it is, you look at what lines multi-line reps are carrying. Let's say Chris Dollar. What lines is Chris carrying? Does my line, first of all, is even remotely competing? Yeah. Second of all, how many lines does this person have? Do I, I even have time to even talk about this? Yep. And then um, if you feel like, okay, they, they, there's no competing lines and I think this would, they have enough, they have room for me. Yeah. Then to me, it's have a conversation with them. How does this fit in with your, your structure? Yeah. You know, one of the challenges uh, I remember back when, and, and they're still a hot company, but when they were white hot, when Oregadio was laser white hot, the multi-line reps who carried Oregadio, their other lines absolutely suffered because they spent the majority of their time talking about the hottest supplier in the industry, which I would too, you would, any of us would. Sure. So you want to make sure that your line is going to get the representation that you're paying for. And I can't quantify that. You as a supplier have to, uh, have yeah. to you know, kind of figure out what that is. Yeah, it was funny. I was thinking about this and um, the, the, the win... I was mm -hmm. listening to his name's Alex something. It was a YouTube video, mm -hmm. and he was talking about 
um, his opportunity to grow. And yeah. he, and he was at a big mastermind group and people um, were telling, giving him advice. And one of the pieces that he, his business was doing really well. And he, the guy leaned in and said, when it gets easy, you have to go hard. And I was like, that's really interesting. Great, so, great advice. Yeah, because he said, so in my mind, it's like, okay, when that supplier, it's like, okay, we're doing really well. So I'm going to, it's time to go hard. That would be yeah. the time to look at doing a multi-line rep, right? Yeah. And then the other piece is, yeah, I think reputation, it, it, it is, what are the, one of the ways that I would choose, because I think all the stuff you just said makes sense. So what I would add mm -hmm. to it um, is to, um, there are just, great multi-line reps just like anything oh, sure. else and then there are less than great your mileage may vary yeah so to me it would be like okay if i were making that that leap i'd be looking at it and going okay who yeah. are the clients that i want to reach that my who's that tar ideal target customer and then i'd call them and go who are the best multi-line reps right. <laughs> right who are the people that serve you the best and that that's oh. that's where i would start well, and you interview them like you would a salesperson. Yeah. What does this exactly. look like to you? If we add it, if, if I wanted you to sell my line, what does that look like to you? How would you present it? And then you have to also figure out how are you going to train that person? How What tools are you going to yeah. give the multi-line rep to make sure that they have everything they need to sell your product? Because here's yeah. the thing. If you're not providing them any tools, there's not much they can do. And, and, and I so I... To, sorry, right. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But the, the, to your point, the one thing I would say... And this is just this is being on the receiving end as yeah. a, you know, as a distributor, when you're a new line, that is when multi-line reps most want to talk about you. 100%. Right. Like they come in, they go, I got a new line. I can't wait mm. to show you. And when they go, I don't have any samples yet. And I don't yeah. know, I don't have flyers yet. It's like, what a really good opportunity. Yeah. What a wasted opportunity. So if you're going to yeah. do it, make sure that they have the tools to really sell you. And I would start small. I'd pick a region like what you're talking about, yeah. a two or three state, you know, a multi one multi-line rep or rep group that has one state, two states, and, and, and you know they have good relationships. You interview them and see how it goes and yeah, grow great. from there. You got to walk before you can run. All right, Kirby, do we have time for one more or no? Yeah, sure. We'll do a quick one. All right. My favorite topic, TikTok, Kirby. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> So TikTok is going to overtake Facebook in influencer marketing spend this year. Hmm. Well, yeah, that was that, interesting. Yeah, and it's going to take over, going to take over YouTube by 2024. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's really uh, about predicting yeah. about tech oh, into, through 2024 is bullshit. So I'll believe it when I get to 2024, not saying it can't happen, but will it take over something this year? Okay. I'll buy that making predictions about tech for next Thursday makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. I didn't mean. To all right. No, it's okay. So it's really about nano and micro influencers, not the big people. So they define nano uh, influencers as individuals with 1000 to 5,000 followers and micro is 5,000 to 20,000 followers. Okay? okay. The data shows that marketing spend on smaller influencer partnerships have been really growing quickly. Nano, nano influence spending is to rise 220% this year, while spending on mega influencers, which are a million followers and more, is only going to grow 8%. Mm, Very okay. interesting numbers there. Yeah. So marketers are also, pro, uh, they also uh, prefer working with smaller creators because the rates are lower, but their posts have much higher engagement rates and great engagement rates. We've seen this happen in promo 
when we launched Brandvate, that was a big influencer campaign. We've seen it with Promotions East. You just had Rachel Levin mm-hmm. on talking about that. We're doing it right now with promocations, right? Yep. You, you know, some th- so you're hopefully still there. So there's some days you can't turn on Facebook or uh, you know uh, Instagram without seeing promocations, which is great. But even with the created, uh, even with the inflated account views on TikToks and fake counts, so that's the problem. About twenty percent of those influencers are fake because just so many fake. They have so many fake accounts. Okay, is influence the question I want to ask you, one Kirby Hossaman of Coshocton, Ohio, mm-hmm. is influencer marketing here to stay, or yeah. is it something that's more of a fad Mm-mm. that's going to have a shelf life? No, I think I think that's it's of course it's here to stay. And what's funny to me is it's always been here. Like it's it we've changed the platform, mm-hmm. right? Like influencer marketing existed in the 50s when my grandma went to the butcher shop. She was an influencer yep. in her community, right? Like Correct. now the numbers have gotten bigger. It's it's evolved. And the vehicles have changed. And the the platforms have changed. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's not a fad. Of course it's not. And I actually get excited because I think it's something that you and I've talked about for years. Is mm-hmm. I like, yeah, everybody wants a Kardashian to push their product. Right. But the reality of it is someone with five to ten thousand followers that really have great followers, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot of people. Oh, yeah. Um, when oh, yeah. Seth Godin is saying that you need a minimum viable audience of a thousand customers like those kinds of influencers have really big impact and so i'm excited to see that trend i think that makes a ton of sense and i think it's it's showing the trend that small businesses are starting to jump on this because if you're coca-cola yeah sure you don't want seth smith in hoboken uh as a as a influencer maybe but if you are a uh clothing shop that is just you know, trying to bounce, yeah. I think those kind of influencers can make a huge impact. So I think that's really yeah. smart and I think it's great. Yeah. And, and we want to apologize to Seth Smith of Hoboken. <laughs> I'm sure the people of Coca-Cola would love to have you enjoy their popular <laughs> beverage. But besides that, I agree. Influencer marketing has always been here, whether yes. it's a celebrity endorsement, an old school commercial of, you know, a celebrity endorsement stills influence marketing. Yeah, the course. biggest story, the biggest influencer marketing success story is when Frank Sinatra in the 50s said his favorite whiskey was Jack Daniels. Before that, Jack Daniels was a regional brand. It was looked down upon. But then when Frank Sinatra, the most popular singer in the in the world, said that his favorite whiskey and his favorite drink was Jack Daniels, that became a movement. Yeah. That's influencer marketing. Yeah. And so it's going to evolve. It is not a fad. It's going to evolve in terms of you know how we're doing it today is not how it's going to be in a year. And I don't yeah. think any of us can predict that any more than we can predict uh, future in tech. But I'll tell you what we can predict, Kirby, that the good people at Shapenko, the good, good people at Shapenko, yeah. not only have they been here for four generations, they're going to be here for a lot longer because they know, they absolutely know, that that's how relationships are built because they have had that wonderful, wonderful success story of four generations. They've been around since 1933. And, uh, you know, you don't say in business long, uh, if you don't do things the right way and they do things the right way, they do what they say all the time, deliver quality merchandise, go the extra mile for their distributor partners. They truly care about the success of their clients. So you want to learn more, head over to shipenco.com. You're not going to be sorry you did. Kirby, did you have one last thing to say before we close off this podcast? Because I just went into the ad without even asking you. Oh, no. I, all I can say is that I am excited each week to do this with you. So thanks for putting up with me. 
It's my pleasure and I hope both of our listeners enjoy the podcast today. <laughs>